Well, good morning, everyone. Well, as Joel and Dave said, we took a break from the story uh, last week, and we had a tremendous speaker here, Joe Beam. If you missed last week, definitely go out to the website. You can listen or watch the message. It was a great message on guilt, shame, and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So I'd encourage you to go out to the web and hear that. But we did pause the series we're in called The Story. Um, We finished on week four, and today we're going to pick up with week five. But we've been in this series, a story where we're looking at God's big story, and we're kind of going through by all the little sub-stories, and we're seeing how they all fit together, showing how God wants his story to intersect with our story, and how the main character of God's big story is Jesus Christ, whom all deliverance comes through him. And so it's been fascinating over the past few weeks just being able to begin the story and go through it together, and we're going to do that in the weeks ahead. You can prepare for Sunday or follow up Sunday by getting the story Bible out at the cafe and just read what we just read this week or um, get ahead if you want, but they're at the cafe. I do want to ask the ushers to come down now if you would. They have Bibles, and we're going to be putting up Uh, parts of the story. So there'll be scriptures coming up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, this is a gift from the church to you. If you have one, you just want to use it while you're here, feel free to just take it and return it at the end. But since we took a break, and maybe a couple of you missed some of the other weeks, I'm going to give a little update. I'm not going to go through everything. I got to give you the cliff notes of the past few weeks. And I have no idea if we deal with cliff notes these days. When I was a kid, it was cliff notes get a short version of the story. So I want to give you kind of where we've been so that when we look at today where we're going, it's going to kind of make sense for you. So we started and we saw that God created this community in the garden, this perfect community, exactly the way he wanted it, where he could talk and walk and be with the people that he created. And he he gave them everything. Everything was theirs provision, protection. He just said, hey, there's one thing, don't go there. That, that's not for you. And we saw that his creation went, the people went and did what he told them not to do. And so they were banished from the garden. And so you think, ah, oh, doomed. God's plan doomed, but no. He had an epic plan. He went to Abraham and initiated his plan. He told Abraham, I am going to make your people great. They're going to be so numerous, I'm going to bless your people. And then your people will bless the world. And so we we journeyed through Genesis and we saw the the storyline of Abraham's family. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons, and 11 of them turned on one of their brothers, Joseph. They ended up selling him into slavery. He ended up in Egypt. Again, we sit at the story and going, where is God in this? Is it over? Is the plan, did it fall apart? But we heard God was with Joseph. God was working even when we couldn't see it, when Joseph couldn't see it. And so Jacob's homeland experienced a famine. 
Well, guess who had food? Egypt, where Joseph was. And so Jacob's family ends up coming to Egypt, and his family takes up residence there. They grow. Their descendants become greater and greater. Remember that promise to Abraham that God made. He's fulfilling that promise. And all of a sudden, they're becoming a great nation in Egypt, so much so that the leader of the nation, Pharaoh, didn't like it. And so he enslaved the Israelites for hundreds of years. And they cried out to God, and God heard their cry. And in the last week, week number four, we saw how God heard the cry, and he called upon Moses. He said, Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to lead my people out. And we saw how God delivered his people through some terrible plagues, But Moses led through the power of God, led the Israelites out, and they were free. That's kind of where we are today in the story. So what happens next? He made that promise that he would bless the nation, that he would bring them to a land that he, God, was going to give them, the promised land, another garden. What happened? Well, we read they, they travel for about a couple months, and they come to Mount Sinai, the same place where God spoke to Moses. And he called them to camp there because he wanted to talk with Moses again. As he calls Moses up, and this is a turning point. Week five is a turning point in our story because God wants to do something that he hadn't done since the garden. In the garden, he walked, he talked, he dwelled with his people. After that, That wasn't the case. He came and met with individuals, Abraham, Jacob. But the story's going to turn this week because what he wants to do, God wants to come and dwell, be with his people again. But he's got some guidelines that he wants to share. So he calls Moses up and he says, I'm going to verbalize these to you and I want you to go down and tell the Israelites after I share these with you. So we read what God had to say here in Exodus 20. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet. We know these as the Ten Commandments, right? Everybody has heard those before. They're actually part of the law, the Old Testament law. And so when you hear these and you hear the law, what you've got to think is books in the Old Testament, Exodus 20, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's where the law is contained. Over 600 commandments, 613 to be exact. They covered moral law, civil law, ritual law. And so what we're going to do today is, what did it mean to the Israelites when they heard this? What did it mean to them? And then more importantly, what does it mean to us? Because this is God's story, right? God's story and our story intersecting. How does it even apply here? Or does it? That's something we'll look at today as we look at God's rules. We typically don't like rules, right? 
I remember when my daughter Elizabeth was young, and my wife Kim said uh, Elizabeth was eating a popsicle, and she was in the kitchen. And Kim said, eat the popsicle in the kitchen. So Elizabeth just looked at her in the eye, and she eats her popsicle. She takes a step over towards the living room door. She doesn't go fully in, but what she does is One foot in the living room, one foot in the kitchen. Dead stare into Kim's eyes as if to say, on the outside, I'm obeying you and staying in the kitchen, but on the inside, I am running all over that living room with this juicy popsicle. Okay? We don't typically like rules. We like, we like rules when they're enforced on others. I like for policemen to enforce somebody who is running a stop sign on a road. But if that person kind of comes to a pseudo stop in a non-busy area, and that person happens to be me, <laughs> then I think you should be exempt. I mean, it, it was about two miles an hour, and you know, I'm usually cautious. We don't like rules. And it causes us to kind of question the motives of what's behind the rules. And what can happen is we get this distorted view of why rules exist. And then we take this understanding, this distorted understanding that we have, and we bring it into the spiritual realm, and all of a sudden we take this distorted view and we apply it to God and we start to believe myths. One of the myths is my relationship with God is dependent on following the rules. If I follow the rules, then I will be right and acceptable to God. That's a myth we can believe when we start to distort things in that way. But here's the truth, that God never meant for the rules to be a measure of acceptability. God never meant for the rules to be a measure of acceptability. He didn't mean it for the Israelites. They were his people already. What I didn't read to you prior to the Ten Commandments, in verse 2, he says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. I am your Lord your God. You are mine. You see, he was, they were his people before the laws even came about. He delivered them from Egypt. That ought to have been enough to tell them that you are fully accepted by me. You are my people. The rules don't make you worthy. The rules confirm the relationship that I have with you. The rules are just a call to your loyalty to me, but not your acceptability to me. God's rules were never meant to be a measure of acceptability. It wasn't for the Israelites, but how about for us, right? You're saying, how about us, me sitting right here? We're going to touch upon this later, but I'll simply say this right now. If you are a Christ follower, if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you are already his you are his people. You are a child of God. 
you didn't earn your way into that relationship. It was by the grace of God through Jesus Christ and faith in that. So this still applies to you as a Christ follower. God never meant for the rules to be a measure of acceptability for you. So we can believe that one myth that we have to follow the rules in order to be in relationship or to be called a child of his. The other one, the other myth that's popular when we have this distorted view is that we can start to think of God as like a morality traffic cop. Or think of, you know, you've seen security screens in malls or airports, and you just think of God sitting on a chair with a bunch of computer screens, and he's looking for you as you're doing something wrong. And when he sees something going wrong, he sends out his agents of destruction to kind of do away with you, right? We can start to think that God's this morality cop when it's further from the truth. It's it's kind of the way I think teenagers view their parents and some of the rules that parents give teenagers. Because we will say stuff like, do you really think you should be putting that on Twitter? They think it's because we don't like them or we're trying to just make them feel some pain. Or when we say, hey, it's 20 degrees out, you think you want to take a sweater today? They think we're just inventing these things. Who are you going with? What time are you coming back? And so just like teenagers can view their parents, we start to view God this way that he passes time by just being like a killjoy. All he's trying to do is just rob the joy from you. That's not the case. See, rules, they tell us a lot about the rule maker. When you look at the rules, you can tell a lot about what is important to the rule maker, what the rule maker believes. I grew up, my mom and dad instilled some rules in our house. I was part of the Perry family. What it meant was, and I remember this to this day, if I'm in a room and I'm sitting in a seat and somebody comes in, I immediately get up out of my seat, and if it makes sense, go and introduce myself, look them in the eye, say my name, ask for their name, and if they need a seat, have my seat. To this day, I remember how I was called to answer the phone as part of the Perry family. Hello, this is Robert Perry Jr. speaking. Who is this, please? (laughs) It was part of being the Perry family. And it said a lot about the rule makers that what was important to my parents was respect, humility, integrity, and a love for others. It says a lot. The rules and guidelines say a lot. And so when we look at God's rules here, they tell us a lot about him. He says, don't lie. Why? Because the truth is something that he values. He says, don't murder. Why? Because life is what he's all about. You look at his rules and it says a lot about his character. Just like any loving parent would do, they establish boundaries and rules. And so as a part of being part of the family of God, what you need to know is God establishes boundaries because he loves me. He establishes boundaries because he loves me. For the Israelites, who are his people, he, 
Think of where they came from. He is calling them. He said, I'm going to take you to a place. I'm leading you to the promised land. But they spent hundreds of years in Egypt, right? Under different leadership, different values, different beliefs. This is a gift that he is giving to the Israelites. Because he knew if he didn't establish these without putting in these rules and these guidelines, and if they were left to themselves, they wouldn't figure it out. They'd be at each other's throats. And so he gives this because he loves them. He knows it's exactly what they need. And it's what he intended in his community. That's what he wanted. They never were meant to be for acceptability at all. It was by grace that he gave them these And so he was telling them, if you really want to live the way I intended it to be, then I want you to hear these and follow these and be loyal to these. And here's what's important to him, to God. If you take those Ten Commandments, you just kind of draw a line, one through four, one through four, he's saying the first thing that is important and for you to live the way you were intended to live is the vertical relationship with God. That I ought to be your number one. One through four is all about loving God, your relationship with God. And he's saying, you want to live? Then first and foremost, before you even do any of the other things, because you'll get them wrong or right, depending on what you do with one through four. You've got to be all in, mind, body, and soul, sold out on loving me with all that you got. And so that's one thing he wanted to convey to them. The other thing was the relationship out this way to one another. He's saying, love me with all that you got, but I want you to love others. And so he tells them not to lie, not to have adultery, not to do all these things because What's important to him is that you love others. It's the way he planned it. He didn't plan for you to hurt or harm others. He planned for you to be loving others and to have the best interest of others in mind, just like his guidelines and rules are for our best interest. It is to protect us. It is to give us the joy in life the way we intended it and to watch over and protect us. Think of it this way. Seat belts may wrinkle your sport jacket or your dress, but think of the alternative. He loves you. He's trying to protect you, trying to help you live life as it was intended to be. And these were his people whom he loved, and he was calling them to be loyal to him. Say, so, okay, but I'm not his people. I'm not there. That's the Old Testament. How about me and right now? That was the Old Testament. That was the Old Covenant, Rob. How about now under the New Covenant? Am I to follow these rules here? These ten, what, what does it say to me? Well, as a general guideline, it, it is safe to assume that the stipulations in the Old Testament are not binding to us who are under the new covenant, unless, 
they are renewed in the New Testament in some fashion. And when you look at the Ten Commandments, so the question is, how about these Ten Commandments? Are they renewed? Well, many of them are. Look at Jesus in Matthew 5. He not only covers the Ten Commandments, he, he, he actually steps it up even more. The Old Testament said, don't commit adultery. Jesus said, it was said, don't commit adultery, but you, if you think of a woman in such a way, you've committed adultery. <laughs> so we have the original stepped up. And then when pressed, because the Pharisees were pressing Jesus, and they said, because remember, they had 613 of these, and they did what I would do. Hey, which one of the 613 do I need to do in order to be right with you? And Jesus said, all right, I'll give you two. And he gives them Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. And they simply say, love God with all that you got. That's Deuteronomy. And then love others. We just looked at the Ten Commandments, didn't we? Drew the line. What, did it, what was it? Love God. Love others. He knew what he was doing. He knows what, he's, what he is doing. He loves us and is calling us to follow and be loyal because he knows just like any other parent would do, they would put these laws and guidelines in place because they love us. And just like a parent, if, we, if your child stumbles over one of them or all of them, they are no less your child, right? So it is with God. And so Moses comes down, remember this story, Moses comes down after hearing the commandments and comes to the Israelites and says, here's what God asks of you. And he says the Ten Commandments, and their response simply was this in Exodus 24. We will do everything that the Lord has commanded. Hey, we're all in, they're saying. We're in. Count us in. All right? So God calls Moses back up onto the mountain because what God wants to do is he wants to write out himself, personally, write out on the tablets the Ten Commandments as well as some other things that he wants to tell Moses so he calls Moses up, but what he does is there's a cloud over the mountain. So the Israelites are sitting at the, the base of the mountain with Aaron there, his brother. They can't see a thing. They can't see Moses. They're a little uneasy about that, but Moses goes up and begins to, you know, the interaction with God. And there's another thing that God did during this time. And I said today was a transitional week because God wanted to dwell with his people. First time since the garden. Now he wants to provide a way where he can dwell with them. He redeemed them. He delivered them out of Egypt. It was so that he could have a relationship with them. And so now he wants to come back and be in their presence. And so a lot of what you read in this week's story is God detailing, okay, for that to happen, I need to have a place where I can dwell and where you can come into my presence. And so you read about the tabernacle, and I got a slide up there, if you could put it up. That's the tabernacle. Now remember, they are on the move. They are going to the promised land. So this is portable church, folks. <laughs> they had to move this thing wherever they went. It's about 45 feet long, 15 feet high, 15 feet wide. This very intricate uh, skeleton of wood structure and curtains that overlay it and special kinds of linen and gold it is, when you read it, 
it, it can be boring, it can be numbing, but just like, wow. It is an amazing, and it's, I thought our setup and teardown team is excellent when we did that for years and years. I'm not sure they could have handled this job. But there are some key things in this tabernacle that I do want to share. You see a curtain in the, in the back section there. There are two sections in this tabernacle. The, the front part is called the holy place. And that's where the people could come in and there's some furniture there. And the way God laid it out, the furniture will remind or reminds the Israelites of God's provision and God's protection. So when they come into that place, the holy place, they are just overrun with, my God protects me. My God has provided for me. And then there's this curtain, or the Bible will say a veil, that separates from where the people are in the holy place to the most holy place, it is called. That's the back. There's only one piece of furniture in there. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. And what goes in there are the commandments. Two copies. It's not one through five, five through ten. God's copy and the one he is coveting with his people. And those ten commandments go in there. And that one place, the most holy place, is where God's presence will dwell. But people couldn't go in there. But once a year, the high priest was able to go in there. But the holy place and the most holy place. God allowed a way for him to dwell with his people. Not one person, one individual, but to be with his people. And so Moses gets all of this and he comes down from that mountain. And he's angered of what he sees going on with the Israelites, his people. So angered that we all know he threw the commandments, the, the tablets down on the ground, right? Some of you think, you know, there's that joke, Moses broke the 10, he was the first one to break the 10 commandments, right? No, he wasn't the first. He was angered because the, the people, God's people broke the commandments while he was gone. The number two commandment, don't make idols. They were sitting there, Moses was up there, we read for 40 days, they're sitting there going, where is he? You can't see him. Oh, no. They're getting two days, three days, four days, 40 days. And along the way, they just started worshiping their own idol. They broke the commandment, second commandment. And they're the ones that just said, hey, we're all in, right? I can kind of relate with them. But now we have a slight problem. Because how does a holy God live with sinful people when they actually deserve to die in God's eyes. Well, how, how does he make that happen? Holy people living, uh, holy God living in the presence of sinful people. Well, you'll read that Moses basically intercedes on the Israelite behalf and God ends up renewing his covenant with the people. And what he does is he puts in a way for the people, for him to dwell. He puts in a sacrificial system, which is animals at that time would be sacrificed. They would die so that an animal would die so that an individual could live. And what they would do is bring sacrifices 
every day. As they sinned, they would bring the sacrifice into that holy place. And then once a year, only the high priest was able to take the sacrifices and go and make it on behalf of the people. So God did provide a way for him to dwell amongst his people, but it wasn't as close as we would like it. There was some measure of relationship. So we understand for them, right, how things worked out. But how about for us? We don't, now in the lobby, we don't, you know, this isn't the temple and tabernacle that God spoke about in Scripture. We don't have that anymore. We don't have the animal sacrifices. So what are we to do when we fall short? Because the Bible tells us, right, all have fallen short of the glory of God and of sin. What, what happens? Remember, the story is about God getting people's lives to intersect with his, with the main character being Jesus Christ and salvation from him and him only. You see, the writer of Hebrews wrote that the law of Moses was only a a foreshadow of the good things to come. That back then they had to repeat their sacrifice over and over and over again. In the new covenant, God sends Jesus Christ to come dwell with us. And he is, the Bible calls him the, the high priest who dwells in the most perfect tabernacle in heaven. And Jesus Christ is the one and only final sacrifice. No longer do we have to come in minute by minute, millisecond by millisecond, offering the sacrifices. It is through Jesus Christ that it's offered. Paul says it this way in Romans 3. Verse 21, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. God's story is about dwelling with his people. And in the New Testament, he has swung wide open the doors so that our story can intersect with his story. We are called, the people called his people, his children, are the ones who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're all faced with a question, is that you? Have you ever done that? See, the world system, we, the world says, work real hard. You'll get most likely get the most bonus, get the most opportunities, get the most pay, all the It's not God's system. It's not that way. You don't earn your way into a relationship. It is just like for the Israelite, it is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's why the church, life point, our mission is connecting people with God. All of us are trying just to point people to Jesus. And if you've never done, you've, you've never believed, that's what we're here for every week after the service, anytime. But I, after the service, let's begin discussion. Maybe you don't, I'm, I'm ready. No discussion, I'm ready. Come down, there's always pastors. I'll be down here, Dave will be down here. But it's why we do what we do because to be in a relationship with God comes through Jesus Christ and believing on him. But some of you here, you're like, I know that. I am already a follower of his. How does this apply? Well, some of you 
are still trying to earn your way in. But you need to remember that the rules aren't a measure of acceptability. Stop trying to earn your way in. God is simply saying, come, run this race of life with joy and with a sold out, I'm all in God. I want to love you to the best of my understanding and knowledge and love others. That's what you need to hear today. And then there's some of you that are Christ followers, but you're living for yourself. And you see, living in relationship with God does change the rules. When people see us, they ought to know that we are his. They, they should not see Rob, Rob living for himself. And so for you today, if that's you, it's, Lord, change my mind. Help align my heart, my mind, my soul, my mind, all of me to what you desire. I'm sorry that I've been running this way. I know it doesn't mean that I'm not saved, but I align. I want to show my loyalty by just obeying and trusting what you say. That's how this today speaks to you and to me. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for, um, for loving us. I thank you that it, it, it isn't about earning our way in because we'll never be able to do that. And you knew that. And so you provided a way. And I just pray for each one in here. They don't know you. That Today would be a time where they say, I, I want to know for sure that I know you. And they begin talking with a pastor or another brother and sister in Christ here. And they begin that relationship. And for others, Lord, stop living as if they're under rules. And for some, to start to begin uh, with your rules just because you love us. And in the end, may people see you, not us. And they come running to a God who can save them uh, for eternity. It's in your name I pray. Amen.